Hello and welcome to our kitchen table. I'm sitting here with my wife, your therapist, and today we're doing something brand new that has never been done before, or at least not on this podcast. You conduct a session, recorded it with the person's consent, and we're going to air it today, never before heard, for our listeners. I'm so excited to get to do this. So I've had this idea for a while because I'd rather show and not tell about counseling. I'd rather really get to have people kind of join me in the room, join me in that space and see what it's like. And so somebody people might be familiar with if they've been listening to the podcast for a while or have gone back and listened to older episodes, got to join us and was willing to do an intake session with me. Yeah. Yeah. Emily Scott Cruz, an old friend of yours. Yeah. Yeah been on the podcast before talking about their uh, experience with alcohol dependency and AA and getting sober. Yep. Um, they've come back on and they basically go through a intro session with you or yeah. an onboarding session. My, my full intake session. So there are a couple things that we don't do during the session. We don't, um, I don't go through all of the consent information because I also wanted it to feel true to us in the moment. And I'm not really, it's not a real session. I'm not doing the real consent. So that's missing. If you want to learn more about that, you can go back to the what to expect in your first session episode. But otherwise, it is a real intake session. It's, it's exactly a, the questions it's I a ask. real session. Yep. They talk about real stuff that's actually on their mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were very great. excited to to join in on this idea and get to share that with y'all. Miss me with that? Y'all ain't ever <laughs> gonna hear my uh, my therapy session. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, as always, um, my name is Price, and I married your therapist. <laughs> my name is Ash, and I'm your therapist. And this is a podcast, not therapy. Well, today, well, except for today, where it's real therapy. <laughs> well, let's jump over to the uh, to the therapy session. Uh, let's do it. Emily, I'm so glad you're here today. So I had an idea a little bit ago that I wanted to get to do an intake session with somebody on the podcast. And I thought about doing it with Price. Everybody's pretty familiar with Price at this point. But a lot of people really, really loved the episode with you in it. And you were willing to record yourself doing an intake session. So here we are. (laughs) How are you feeling? I haven't done one of these in a while, so this is exciting. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I do these every day, so it's going to be fine. (laughs) I will lead the way. Um, So basically, I just have my, for those of you listening at home, I have my form pulled up that I use for real intake sessions, and we're just going to go through the questions together. And Emily knows that they can ask, that they can share less if they need to or share more, whatever. All of that's welcome. Um, and so, yeah, we'll get started. Okay. So Emily, let's kick this off by asking your age. (laughs) How old are you? (laughs) I am 29 years young. Okay. Beautiful. (laughs) Um, and then how, um, tell me about your gender identity. How do you identify? I identify as genderqueer. Um, my pronouns are they, them. Beautiful. I take she, her pronouns. Um, <clears throat> I guess I don't need to type everything like I normally would in a session, so I won't waste time with doing that. Uh, tell me what you know about your sexual orientation. I know that I am attracted to people who present in all different genders. Um, I don't know if I've thought about whether that's... I typically say bisexual because it's mm-hmm. easier. 
Um, yeah. Pansexual is probably more accurate yeah. of a description, though. Honestly, I identify almost exactly the same way, where bisexual is so, like, easy and more people know it, but I don't think that literally that definition is what fits, fits me yeah. best. Uh, where is your hometown? Do you f- refer to Charlotte as your hometown or somewhere else? Um, I'm from Asheville, okay. North Carolina, which I claim even though I was only there for like when I was born through third grade. That counts. Because Asheville <laughs> is cool and there aren't very many natives. <laughs> it's nice to be an Asheville native. I like yeah. that a lot. Um, tell me what you do for work. Um, I plan transportation for different cities, which is... Um, surprisingly my dream job um, and I really love doing it I've been doing it for like four years now too which nice is cool. you say surprisingly your dream job how did you fall into that um, I got an internship when I was in grad school nice. um, I went to grad school for public administration because okay. I kind of I had no idea what what I wanted to do after I graduated college yeah. um, I knew I couldn't do anything with a women's studies degree though mm-hmm. so I kind of worked backwards from what I wanted to contribute to the world which was like just have a positive impact on communities yeah and I went to get my MPA thinking I wanted to open a domestic violence nonprofit. okay and then soon realized that nonprofits were not for me because like progress is slow anyway but in nonprofits, oh it's like gosh. slow and oftentimes unrewarding yeah it, no yeah. offense to anyone in nonprofits. I'm very grateful for what you do but like oh my gosh for sure oh couldn't be me yeah. um and then I fell into transportation planning. Amazing. And I love it. That's so cool. What do you specifically love about it? Um, I like the opportunity to uh, create greater equity within cities. That's oh. my, my big kicker. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's such a big <laughs> deal. You really are getting to have, like, a real impact in the space in which you live, which is such a cool thing to get to say about the job that you do. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people need to get a job to pay the bills, and if you and that's great, that's what jobs are for. But if you can get a job where you also feel like you're getting to do something fulfilling, like what a special yeah. place to get to be in. Um, so you mentioned school, and I think grad school. What sort of degree do you have? Um, I got my master's in public administration from UNC Charlotte. Okay, amazing. Um, this one is going to sound a little bit different on the podcast than how I normally do it, but tell me. Usually what I'd ask is tell me a little bit about what's bringing you in. But what are kind of the present things going on in your life right now? Um, God, I feel like there's... I typically pride myself on not having too much going on. Uh Um, But my partner did just move in recently with me. Um, We've been together for a little over a year now. Nice. So that's... That's some change. Hi, Alice. Oh, I get to have a real life cat in sessions (laughs) that I've just on screen. (laughs) Um... I've got some things with different friends that I'm working through as well. Um, I'm active, and in those friendships, I'm really trying to not let past codependent behavior crop up because I'm worried. Um, And yeah, I think those are the big things in life. I'm like, work is always, it's a constant Uh by this point. So, and it's not as stressful as past jobs have been, which I'm really grateful for. That's a help. Um, have you been in the job you're in right now for a while or is it a newer place? Uh, since July. So I would classify that as new. Pretty new. Yeah. Yeah. How's that going? Um, it's going really well. It's slightly different than what I thought it would be, but 
I, I think I just need to have some conversations to make sure it's continuing in a direction that I want because yeah. I'm, I'm like really into transit. Yeah. And the company that I'm with doesn't really do transit yet. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the one of the things in in like the whole hiring process was discussions of me starting a, a practice yeah. in transit. Okay. Um, and it doesn't seem like that's kind of a priority at the moment mm -hmm. from upper management. And I think I just need to, you know, express my needs. Yeah. And yeah. go after those projects. It sounds like you really have a clear picture of kind of where you want to head, which I think is a really exciting thing. It's cool. It got mentioned in the interview and now honestly great for you to notice like, oh, this isn't heading where I thought that it would. Maybe I could, maybe I could say something. Maybe I can impact yeah. what's happening. Yeah. And I've got a really really communicative boss, which mm -hmm. is not something that I had in my previous position. Yeah. Um, so I know, I know that I need to not like associate my past experiences with previous managers yeah. with this boss. Workplace trauma is real. Oh my though. God. It's a lot to bring into the job. I learned yep. through this whole like new job experience that I've been conditioning myself to only work under pressure yeah. for so long that it was like, I, I kind of had a couple weeks, maybe even a month and a half or so where I was like, how do I, do I, am I good at this still? Yes. Yeah. Because there's not like this overwhelming anxiety. I'm not working 50 right. hours a week, you know, yep. it's yep. like 40 hours max Yeah. and there's not pressure on me. So how do I actually still know how to do this? Right. When you're maxing yourself out all of the time, you're like, this is working. Like, this is how I know I'm doing something because yes. I'm stressed and tired all of the time. Yeah. And then getting into something new and being like, oh, not stressed and tired all the time. Maybe yeah. I like it, but what do I do? Yeah. So I'm like still relearning how to yeah. function in an environment that's not like I was having to take medication for sleep yeah. at one point because I got secondary um, insomnia from my anxiety. Oh, no. Yep. Which we love. <laughs> we love that. I've been sleeping great, but um, I'm still like trying to get into a flow of how to balance that with yeah. still giving quality work and also like realizing that that doesn't need to correlate with feeling anxious. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. When you really have had to like commit yourself to a job in the way that it sounds like you had to at your last one, your job can become a big part of your identity. Has that been something that's been coming up now being in this new job and maybe having less of that stress and pressure all the time? <sighs> I don't... <sighs> when, I, when I think about like how I describe myself to people, it tends to be like up there on the list is sober, a transit planner, yeah, and like... I play ping pong. Like those yeah. are the things. And I play violin. Like there's yep. there's like four things about me mm -hmm. that I <laughs> that I would identify <laughs> myself as to people that don't know me. Yeah. So I think like for me professional life is always going to be a big factor in my identity. Yeah. Um but it's not one that like it, it's not limiting my other opportunities as it sounds like, like to a, be to, to just be a human yeah right now and like you said you're doing work that's actually fulfilling to you so I think it's yeah. great to get to say work is part of my identity I got into something I deeply care about and I'm deeply invested in um is different than just like I do a job that I hate but also that has now become part of my identity yeah and and the thing is like I loved what I did before because it was uh -huh. the same thing it was yeah. just a different company but I just you burn out so much faster when you're working oh, overtime sure. all the time and yeah. you're on. 
I counted it, and I had worked 52 projects in the 18 months that I was oh with that job. Oh, my goodness. Look at you. <laughs> Which is insane. That's so By the way, if there's projects. any consultants out there, <laughs> y'all. Anybody who's, like, in that territory oh. would know that that's a lot to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Great work experience. Sure. That's a lot. But that's a lot. Oh. <laughs> Quick burnout. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And when you're given that many projects, it sounds like there's a lot that you're not in control of in terms of like how much you're getting to take on at a time. And oftentimes that has nothing to do even with like the person above you. It's just like the company itself or the organization itself. But my goodness. So you got through and you got to this new place. Um, You talked about being codependent in your relationships before. Where was that showing up in your life and how are you now dealing with that? We don't need to get into your current stuff right now, but what was the the past stuff sort of leading up to that? How are you staying aware? Well, I do have a... Oh, there's... I do have... There are cats. I have ADHD too, in case that's (laughs) not apparent. Um, (laughs) But I guess like it used to be mainly in romantic relationships. Um, I've done a lot of work in that realm. Yeah. And... The way I've done work specifically is I rely heavily on Codependent No More, which is mm-hmm. an incredible book um, yeah. that I have since gotten into the practice of reading before I get into a relationship at some point during a romantic relationship. And then mm-hmm. if it ends, I read it afterwards too. Yeah. Haven't had to read it afterwards, but I have like referenced it over the last year or so mm-hmm. just in moments where I'm like, am I, am, am I like putting somebody else ahead of my own needs what's happening here let me just check in and reference back to my my little book um I but it's been coming up in friendships lately because I I really care about certain people yeah and (laughs) and um and I identify with them a lot yeah and I see them doing things that like if I was doing I would be really I would be really worried about me oh sure or I would want someone else to worry about me yeah um and so I'm really trying to find a balance and like showing up for friends but not like over showing up if that makes sense mm-hmm. so that it's taking away from my own serenity and my own peace yeah because it can very easily bleed into that if I let it oh absolutely you know no it sounds like I mean it's coming from a place of like a lot of empathy and love to be able to kind of put yourself in that person's shoes and go oh I would be worried if this were happening or whatever it is and then at the same time to go okay but what is this now like costing me how is this relationship now not something where we're both building each other up but yeah it's it's like become unbalanced in some way when we really let that codependency come. Yeah, in. and a lot of people, a lot of people in my life, I'm keeping it vague, sir. Oh, sure. There no, are a handful do, of people who do. know that this podcast is happening because <laughs> uh, I can't keep myself quiet sometimes. Um, <clears throat> but like a lot of it too comes up because like I see people who are younger than me who are doing things that I've done in the past. Yeah. Um, particularly in relationships. Oh, sure. Like, I have been known to hold on to things that were unhealthy for so much longer than yeah. I needed to just because I thought that was what you do. Yep. Um, or because I genuinely at the time thought that I loved and wanted to be with this person for the rest yeah. of my life, even though it didn't feel good and there were lots of things that were objectively wrong about different yeah. situations. And I, like see other people going through this or making choices that I know I wouldn't make for myself today. And all I want for my friends is for them to like 
have the general joy and happiness that I get to like just wake up to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even in the fall when, you know, the sun goes down early and I want to, <laughs> I just, I want to die a little bit more than little, I normally want to die. A little bit extra special. Yeah. A little, little spicy yeah, this time of year for me. Depression. Yeah. It's, it's worse on the weekends for some reason. Um, but I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that either. No, you're good. It is really tough to watch people go through that and at the same time know that there was probably not something somebody could have said to you to change your mind about those relationships at the time. And it is so, so different to be inside of a relationship that isn't working for you, but that you're really working on than to be outside of it and watch anybody else you love and care about go through. It seems so clear on the outside and inside it doesn't feel feel that way at all. Yeah. And I know that too. And it's like, that's the other reason that reading through Codependent No More when I have friendships that trigger those issues in me come up is so important for me because I really do need to take a step back and be like, okay, their decisions don't affect you. Yeah. Like, I mean, until they do, but that's not the situation that's happening. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what's happening right now. (laughs) No, it feels like it because I have feelings about it and that does impact me, but it's not the same. But no, I'm making other people's business my business in a way that I really have done a lot of work on not doing. No, it sounds like you have done so much work to be able to get to this place where you can both feel frustrated and also go, this, it doesn't serve me to, to be more involved. Um, I love you rereading the codependent no more book. It sounds like it's a great like anchor for you to return to and kind of check in. Yeah, Um, definitely top two most influential books in my life. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Um, Okay, lovely. Well, we can move on to this next bit and we can come back if anything comes up. Um, So something that's pretty typical in counseling is to talk about like what your goals are and we're going to create a treatment plan around your goals. That's not something that I love so much um, because honestly what we do changes in counseling. Like sometimes you come in with one thing and it turns out that there's really something else going on or a situation occurs and it's about that. Um, and I think that counseling should really just fit the person in front of you in the moment that they're in. But tell me a little bit about what you hope to see for yourself in the, in the next six months, in the next year. What do you hope continues to change? What do you hope stays the same? Well, you've given me such a lovely out because this, this whole, what is your goal in counseling? Frankly, it's one of the things that has kept me avoiding my therapist yeah. for so long. It's easy to do. <laughs> and it's partly it's partly like I, I forget by the next time I see her, which I've been I'd been seeing her monthly for a while, mm-hmm. um, I would forget to set the fucking goal and then I would get to the therapist session and I wouldn't have a goal and I would feel like a kid who hadn't done their homework. Yeah. Oh my God, it's the and worst I'm like, feeling. I don't have a goal. I do therapy because I know I need to do therapy. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I know that therapeutically what I really need to do and what is I'm in the process of figuring out is mm-hmm. getting a therapist in, in Charlotte because my old therapist is incredible but is in Asheville where oh, I had been living. Oh, that's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I would every once in a while during – because I moved here in 2021. So I started seeing her in 2019 when I got sober. So like I had a solid two years of seeing this woman in person. Right, of just getting Even if it was with a mask, Mm -hmm. every once in a while it would be a Zoom session. But Mm -hmm. like 
I had two years, very familiar, very comfortable yeah. in her office. And then I moved, and I would go back every once in a while for therapy. Mm-hmm. But that's not feasible yeah. to do all the time. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm in such... A post-COVID, which I know it's not post in any way, shape, or form, but yeah, like yeah, but like here we are. Culturally, in the world, it different. feels like <laughs> culturally it feels like COVID never freaking happened, right? Right. Um, yep. That it's hard for me to like create the time and space necessary to do yeah. those sessions in a way that's meaningful and uh, has an effect. Yeah. So like, <laughs> so I think she could start feeling that, <laughs> and that's when the goals came up, okay. and then the goals came up, and I was like. <laughs> I'm doing this because I know I need to. Like I know I've had trauma. Yeah, this I is know one this of the stuff. things you do. So what I anyway. Point being, mm-hmm. I need to find a therapist in Charlotte who focuses on EMDR because a lot of my trauma I just don't remember. Yeah, um, that's a big part. Of I know, trauma. I know something in me remembers it, mm-hmm. and I would like to figure that out. Yeah. So that whatever ripple effects I know it has, right, can. Maybe stop rippling. Right. It's you know? still showing up in your life somewhere. Yeah, every once in a while it shows life. up. And mm-hmm. maybe I can't pinpoint it or pinpoint why, but, yeah. like, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. So. So the Maybe goal- that's not in six months. <laughs> Let's be realistic. Time flies. True. I don't even know how True. it's almost 2024, quite frankly. No. <laughs> no. I mean, time was already such a, a weird construct. Just, um, uh-huh. but, but since COVID's happened and continues to happen oh my god time like has lost all all meaning yeah i mean plus we're getting older so like well that happens we have a warped (laughs) perception of time (laughs) time is weird so one of your goals it sounds like is is, find a therapist that's a solid goal okay that's i need to find a therapist who does emdr or or some kind of Maybe you're not regression hypnosis. I don't even know if that's a thing. I've been watching a lot of X-Files. <laughs> okay, kidding. So that's maybe why that's coming to my yeah. brain. But like something to unlock whatever is locked. So one of your goals is is that like unlocking and whatever path that takes, probably finding a new therapist, doing EMDR. This isn't usually the conversation I have during therapy, but this is great. This is useful. <laughs> um, but then the, the main thing about that is you just getting to like understand more about what from your past is still impacting yeah. you, yeah. Um, which is an excellent goal to have. And whether or not you feel like you've fully accomplished that in six months, it sounds like if that's the direction you're moving, that's a yeah. a good place to be. Um, is there anything else that you think of in the next, you know, three to six months that you really would like to see different in your life? No, that's pretty cool. No. <laughs> That's so great. It's wild to be in that sort like of Like maybe I would like to take a trip out of the U.S. Yeah. in the next six months. Okay. Yeah. That's something, but that's like, that's a very achievable. I. It sounds like build on this really like firm foundation that you have painstakingly yeah. like created for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, that's awesome. I love that. That's also not the conversation I usually get to have. <laughs> um, all right. Tell me a little bit about your past counseling history. The things that I'm most interested in are when did you start counseling? And then is there anything in counseling over your time in counseling that has really worked for you or really did not work for you that you would not like to repeat in counseling? Oh gosh. Some of those past traumas also affect my memory. That's Um, fair. Do you know around when you were starting? Yeah. Uh, I know it was after I got sober the first time. So Mm -hmm. it had to have been like late 2017, probably 
knowing me, it was probably not late 2017. It was probably <laughs> early 2018. Okay. Um, and I started seeing a therapist. It was my first time in therapy. She was a friend of a friend. Um, did you choose to go or did somebody kind of send you to counseling? What happened? I, I think I... Who knows at the time? Who I was in say? grad school. Um, so I'm pretty sure... And my, my, I was going through a divorce too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure my psychiatrist father recommended yeah. that I go to therapy. And my response was, I don't want to pay for it. And he said, well, what if I helped you pay for it? And I said, fine, Always I'll find a, a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was like the catalyst. Um, okay. I don't remember being honest with that therapist um and I don't think I saw her for more than six months and then I didn't have another therapist until I moved back to Asheville in 2019 Mm -hmm. and I know I wasn't honest with that therapist because I convinced that woman to some to make the suggestion that maybe I wasn't an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. At which point after that therapy session, I went out and drank and had a really (laughs) bad relapse for three weeks. So like, (laughs) so like, I I mean, I was already going to drink anyway, but, but I really did a good job manipulating that situation. Yeah. Um, I saw her twice. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm surprised you stayed with the other person as long as you did when you didn't feel like you could be honest with them either. Or you don't think that you were, I don't think I was honest, but I don't think I, I, the way I see my general existence is pre-2019, <laughs> there wasn't much honest about me. Uh-huh. So uh, I might have been honest with her about some things, yeah. but, like, probably not. Yeah. A lot of times that, like, long-term dishonesty that's, like, happened, you know, for your whole life prior or whatever is about feeling like there's some... It starts somewhere. It's not like an intention to be dishonest with somebody. It's like this part of me doesn't feel super acceptable. And then you can be dishonest and that is acceptable. And then you like build and build on that. And you can get to a place where you're in therapy and it's not even that you're intentionally trying to be dishonest. It's that you literally don't fucking know. Like I just, I don't know. I don't know what I mean by that, but I know probably what you want to hear. Yes. And I know, especially. And I was always good at that. Right. Yeah. No, I can intuitively guess what you would like to hear in this situation. So let me hand you that and let's go from there because that works well. And there were some things that I was always honest about, right? Like Mm -hmm. I, because I know that therapists know how to work on things like past sexual abuse and physical trauma. Mm -hmm. So like those things would always come up in conversation. Yeah. But the level of depth that I got into it, like I haven't had up until the therapist I started seeing in 2019, I don't think I've had like a genuinely like level conversation with someone and like in a way where I I went into that setting still maybe unsure but I knew I needed help yeah at that point um and I think because I knew I needed the help I was willing to just let my guard down and that's a spill huge my guts to do. <laughs> spill my guts for like I wouldn't call it four years. It's not really four years because I've been touch and go for the last year. Yeah, fair. But But during that time, you really like went in and did the thing. I really went in and did the thing for at least a solid two. I'll give myself a solid two and a half years. Okay, fair. Up until when I moved, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a long time. That's a good good thing to be able to do. Um, 
did you, it sounds like you noticed that things went differently when you were finally able to, to do that. Yeah. And, and for me, I think part of it was I went in knowing that she was, um, she specifically focused on substance abuse, Yeah, which is really important for me. I found out within the first like 10 minutes that she'd also, she's been sober for like 20 something years. Mm -hmm. So like, oh, not only is she a substance abuse counselor, but she's like me like she understands that's the biggest thing she understands a big piece of my identity on a personal level yeah you know yeah because yeah I say I I identify as sober but really I identify as an alcoholic right right and like (laughs) if you're not an alcoholic it's hard to understand the way an alcoholic thinks oh for sure you know and I think even coming in with the best intentions you can come in with a lot of bias Mm -hmm. um a lot of misunderstanding there and getting to have a therapist who really like, no, I get that. Yeah. Um, that, that makes a huge difference. How can you be honest with somebody who like already is coming in with their own opinions about the very like difficult thing you're going to try to share? Yeah. Um, or just not knowing the way that like addiction functions in the first place. Yeah. Uh, good for you for finding somebody who did those things. That's really cool. That makes sense. And I think that I'm at a point where like I'm, so much more comfortable with my identity today than I was four years ago that I, it's like when I go out to find a therapist, I'm not going to find one in the rooms of AA, you know? Yeah. Like that's not the goal Uh in any way, shape or form, because frankly, I've actually got a community in the rooms now Yeah, and I don't want to see those people outside of a meeting. Right. You know, like I'm so good on that. Yeah. But, um, but I do know like the specific things I need to work on and, I think now it's just like find somebody that I can vibe with. Yeah. That's the most important thing. I think over anything else, what we've seen again and again, kind of in people's lived experiences and then in research is that like, if you don't trust the person sitting across from you, like you're not going to share who would No, absolutely nobody would. Yeah. And if you do force yourself into a situation where you're sharing to somebody who you don't feel like gets you, who you don't vibe with, you're going to continue to like grow feelings of either resentment or just mistrust or of like defensiveness. Like none of that's a good yeah. fit. Find somebody you vibe with more than anything else. Yeah. More than a modality. I am pretty sure that means I'm not going to find a cisgender male yeah. therapist. Yeah. Maybe not the best person to see. But again, there's a lot of trauma involved in my past. So like, there's a reason for that, you yeah. know? No, that's totally fair. You don't have to start with somebody where you have to overcome something just to like get in the room. Yeah. Like, that's a lot. That's yeah. too much to ask for a person to do. <laughs> oh my God. Is there something in particular that you know with past therapists at any point that really worked well and you'd love to repeat that or something that really did not work and you would not like to repeat it? Mm, I think, I mean... God, vibe is such the wrong (laughs) choice of word for this. But I really do think, like, the times I've felt most comfortable in therapy have been when it's somebody that I can sense and intuitively just feel is present and genuinely just cares about, you know, me being there. Yeah. you I mean, it's the same way I approach transit that. planning, right? <laughs> like, if I can Wait, sense that you love therapy this. as much as I love buses, <laughs> yeah, we'll be good. <laughs> okay, I feel you know? on that, yeah. You know, but like, and I get that everybody has bad days, mm-hmm. 
and that's cool. Yeah. But especially in the first session, if I can like feel yeah. that if please don't have a bad day on my first session. <laughs> well, to be I fair, won't like, come back. Sure, people have bad days, but like you don't get to show up and do something shitty with transit because you're having a bad That's day. That's correct. Like you still have to show up and do your full fucking job, and you're allowed That's to expect correct. that your therapist. And I can take my ten minute break and go whine about my yes. my whole job elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know. No, you're allowed to expect that like bare minimum from your therapist, and so it's an energy thing for me. Yeah. Like I can. I really can feel someone's energy and, and that matters. Well, I mean, it's so true. I think that that's a great term to use. And a lot of people use that as they're talking, but literally what's happening when we're connecting with somebody is that our nervous system sync up with them. And when you're not vibing with somebody, when you're not feeling that energy, probably what's happening is that your nervous systems are doing separate things. They are somewhere else and not in the room with you. And like, you deserve more than that in yeah. therapy. Um, so there's a strong session. chance my next therapist is also neurodivergent. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I really tend to vibe with neurodivergent people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we do tend to seek one another out, honestly, yeah. in all senses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just such a good feeling to start trying to describe something about yourself, which is already hard to do. Like, how do you put language to our very like complicated nuanced human existence and to get to do that and part way through to have somebody go oh I get that I really feel you on that for whatever reason either they've had the same experience or they're just able to connect with that in a different way they're neurodivergent as well Mm -hmm. they're whatever they've gone through some something shared that feels that feels nice that you're gonna keep talking to that person yeah well that's fair Um, something that I like to tell folks when they have ever struggled in the past with feeling like they couldn't be honest in therapy is just that therapy feels super official a lot of the times, like somebody sitting there maybe taking notes and stuff is happening and your insurance is involved. Like it feels very (laughs) official. And my encouragement to anybody going through that is, um, you can change your mind. Like it would be totally okay to show up one week and be like, this is me. This is who I am. This is what I'm struggling with. And a week, two weeks, a month, six months later to show up and go, okay, so that's not totally it. And I want to try again with that. Um, Cause it takes practice to be honest with ourselves and to even yeah. figure that out. Um, okay. The next part is talking about family. So tell me who's in your family and what are your relationships with those people? You can be as as minimal or as in-depth as you would like to be. Um, and I say the same thing to clients, honestly, because sometimes it's a lot to talk about family. <laughs> well, my family is, my immediate family is pretty small, which uh-huh. is nice. Um, Who's in your immediate family? My mom and dad, they've been married for, oh shoot, I should know this, almost 45 years, nice. I want to say. Okay. I a can't. long time. When That's they were anything. 23 and they were born in 57, if anyone can do math. It is it's not been, me, but I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> that long. It's been a long time. A long time. Um, they, they're both doctors. Um, okay. And my mom is very um, intentional, uh, very intense, too. Yeah. Um, my dad is some – I identify much more with my father. Okay. He is social. Um, he's – Loves to read. Yeah. Just a general nerd. I oh, um, love that. Who also blends into any setting that he wants. Um, okay. 
they actually, they met and married in six weeks, which is still wild to me that the mother that I have known for my last 29 years of life would ever do something like that. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But when they married, my mom told him that she would not bear his children or do his laundry. Okay. And she didn't have me for 13 years. So he eventually grew up enough for her to... (laughs) For let's her to like this. actually procreate. <laughs> let's do this right now, but then I'm gonna have to take some time. I was very, I was very planned. Yeah, <laughs> they really wanted me. <laughs> <laughs> That's honestly like a. Good and then they had me, and then they realized three years later they needed another one. So I have a sister too. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you and your uh-huh. sister are three years apart. Yeah, okay. I have a younger sister. She just got engaged. Um, shoot, I guess it was a few months ago by this okay. point. Um, and she actually asked me to be her bridesmaid last week. That's so sweet. Which I didn't think was going to happen because we're not the closest. Yeah. And honestly, I was kind of a dick to her when I was growing up. (laughs) Um, I had been mentally preparing for months to just show up to this wedding, which is not for another year, but they've already planned like everything because my Uh sister takes after my mother and is insane in a wonderful (laughs) way that makes her get things done. Yep. Um, That intensity intensity too. But uh, yeah, I've been mentally preparing to just show up as a family member for a long time. And then I got a letter in the mail um, that said, will you be my bridesmaid? And I didn't cry at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Why would you cry over something so sweet? (laughs) Oh, that's really lovely. That's, um, yeah. I mean, for that to come as like a surprise after you two not getting to share the closest relationship. Was there ever a point where you were super close? Like when you were kids? Not that I can recall. I also like, I have a lot of memory gaps. My, my main my big T trauma mm-hmm. happened between the ages of 18 and like 20, 20 and a half. Yeah. Um, and I've come to find out it erased a lot of my previous memories that mm-hmm. I did not realize that was a thing. Yeah. Um, and maybe I also block it out because I was a dick and I don't want to remember that. Oh my God. Trauma can really, <laughs> really mess with the way that our memory works. But like, Frankly, other people who I went to school with probably remember more about me than I do mm-hmm. in middle school, high school, elementary school. Yeah. And uh, I feel that way yeah. looking back at my past too, that I think a lot of other people remember more about me than I would remember about yeah. being there <laughs> at all. Like I could tell you maybe a handful of stories from high school, mm-hmm. but most of those involved like when we went to Europe and I yeah. decided to sneak down through the train when we were going into France because I could get alcohol there. Yeah. Um, or heart, somebody and I <laughs> snuck off and <laughs> snuck off during the Louvre time mm-hmm. and we just found beer somewhere. Yeah. You know, like yeah. the handful of things I can recall are not the things that necessarily should be the right. Be what is recalled. In some ways, they were like defining moments, but also not the way that you want to look back and be no. like, oh, let me happily reflect on high school memories. Like, no, yeah. although I have since found some journals from high school that I still oh. haven't actually gone through. Yeah. And I do now actively journal because I know that it helps my memory, mm-hmm. even if it's just like literally just writing out what happened in yeah. a given day. Yeah. I know I can go back and remember it. Yeah. Which really has helped me continue to form 
memories too. It's cool. It really does create kind of a touchstone for us. Even if you don't say, I feel this way about this thing, oftentimes we can return back to that and go, I remember writing this. I remember being upset when I wrote this or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. The head's cool that you've been able to do that. It's really hard, I think, living with big gaps in your memory. That's really tricky. It's great. Yeah. Um, is there anything else about your family that feels particularly impactful or relevant for this? Um, I guess as of, oh, Jesus, I'm so bad. I don't even remember the month this happened in. That's okay. <laughs> like, a lot of times August? people with ADHD honestly have a completely different memory when it comes to calendar and time stuff. I want to say it was maybe August. Okay. In August. Like August of this year? Yeah, like of this year. Okay, so like somewhat recently. Somewhat recently my grandmother died. My last okay. living grandparent yeah. died. Ugh. Um, Was and that mom's mom or dad's mom? No, that was dad's mom. Okay. Mom's mom died at, in 2021, early mm-hmm. 2021. And um, that was, I mean, kind of easier because like we had a Zoom funeral. Yeah. Because everybody was everywhere and nobody uh-huh. was flying. Yeah. Uh, plus it was a really long time coming. Both of my mom's parents dragged their feet on their death. A little bit easier to anticipate that that was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're kind of, kind of my dad's mom. She lived till 95. Wow. Okay. And it's been like every Christmas for at least seven to 10 years where we're like, be the last Christmas. (laughs) Are you sure you want to come? You got to come to Houston, you know, cause this might be Awela's last Christmas. Yep. And, uh. I'm glad I went last year, mm-hmm. <laughs> but also, um, it brought the whole family on my dad's side together. Oh, um, wow. and it was kind of unexpectedly nice because mm-hmm. they, uh, haven't historically been my biggest fan ever since I decided not to go to an Ivy league college. How dare you? Oh, I know. <laughs> I went to an all-women's college. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, with a women's studies degree. Yeah. yeah. I'm doing great as the not doctor in my family. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it ended up being really nice to see everybody. And I didn't think I was going to cry because I normally do a really good job. Oh, I don't know yeah. if this is a good thing. <laughs> really good job. I compartmentalize quite well most of the time. Yeah. And I get there and my like 10, 11 year old cousin, as soon as the service starts, starts bawling his eyes out. And I just, I was a puddle. Yeah. I was a puddle all day. That's, I mean, so good for us. Like we are so, so meant as humans to get to grieve like collectively. It's meant to be a thing that we do together in groups. That's why there's so much like, just like there's ceremony around like weddings or, um, or births. There's a lot of ceremony in every culture around, death and dying because like it's important that we're together and that we witness each other and yeah one of the most impactful things that can happen is seeing somebody else grieving especially a cute little ginger kid especially a cute little ginger kid who could possibly (sighs) hold back tears when you're around them oh my god not me yeah i guess that's the that's the only other family thing that immediately comes to mind no that's a big deal that's like um it sounds like after a history of things feeling kind of one way for a while you got to have like a joining together sort of yeah. feeling. And it is also altering. I historically do not do Thanksgiving. Um, okay. I not only dislike the holiday in yeah. general, uh-huh. I 
really don't like whatever the hell it brings out in people. So for the last two years, I've just run away and played ping pong in Washington, D.C. because they have a tournament every Thanksgiving. Oh. And um, this year, I'm not doing that because everybody's parents are dead, officially. And my sister's in California. Yeah. So my parents are just going to be alone Mm -hmm. on Thanksgiving. So my partner and I are going going to visit them for Thanksgiving. Yeah. You sound on it (laughs) i love my parents it's going to be fine i just really i have just really not done thanksgiving in so long but and even even when i did do it i would avoid it by going to partners like thanksgiving yeah yeah so this is so they get thanksgiving this year and his family gets christmas okay and that's a whole other like (laughs) (laughs) that's a whole other thing that i'm gonna have to work through that's fair. It's a lot. And it's a, it sounds like this was really a big event in your life to do something that you have like have historically not done, not gone and done holidays. And it sounds like a lot in your life is different, both between like your grandmother's death, but also it sounds like in the sort of relationship you're in now and yeah. deciding to go do those things slightly differently. So Yeah. Yeah. It's you're allowed to feel complicated it's, around it. It's, it's cool. complicated. <laughs> It's cool too. Okay. Here's the last thing that I'd like to talk to you about. Um, there are two questions here. So tell me a little bit about what you view as your strengths. Um, everybody is always surprised by this question and it's completely fair. When do you get asked I just heard family and I was low key like prepping my brain for relationships next. (laughs) I'm like, okay. Dodge that bullet. <laughs> um, I think I'm funny. I don't know if everybody else does, but um, I'm relatively smart. You're uh, like clearly very smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoy learning. Mm. I um, I'm honest these days, yeah. which is a strength. That's a big deal, and like hard fought for, and uh-huh. you have to get to that place. Um, I'm resilient oh now I'm starting to feel cringy talking about my strengths (laughs) I'm much better at talking about my weaknesses um does self-critical count as a strength because if so lots of that so we can go into the next bit of this question too. okay that's cool um what do you do to help yourself cope and get by so it can be things that you're really proud of or things that you're not as proud of but what do you do to help yourself like make it through I vape Mm-hmm. Um, compulsively. Yeah. I also sometimes over-caffeinate. Uh-huh. Uh, I work out. I lift, ADHD? I lift heavy weights now. No way. Get it. Not That's super amazing. heavy. It's not like CrossFit or anything, but okay. it's yeah. high intensity interval training, which is super fun. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a good time. I honestly, I used to, I used to compulsively play like hours and hours of ping pong, but ever since I started working out, I don't do that as much. Mm. Um, but whenever I do, I'm much better at it because I have muscles now. Oh, that's good. <laughs> You've like really built a strong foundation. Yeah. Why um, do you think working out made you play less less ping pong? Oh, because I do it like 5.30 in the morning and then by yeah. the end of work, I'm exhausted. Yeah, you must be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did not today because I knew I was doing things after work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Mm, I also... Probably use food as a coping mechanism still in a not healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, food is a really, really reliable coping mechanism. It's why so many people it use is it that way. really yeah. reliable. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's good like stimulation in a certain way. It's good soothing. Yeah. It's good for a lot. It's normal. To yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not out of control at the moment, so yeah, it's fine. No, that's normal, and it really fits in with I think the other ways you've both like really helped yourself and worked to this place, and also. Um, yeah, that stuff is still going to show up. Like, we still need ways to soothe ourselves and ways to, to regulate. I watch a shit ton of Netflix, too. That's that's a good one. That's a good coping strategy. Some distraction or... So like much Netflix. Some, yeah. <laughs> I really need to read more. <laughs> the number of times someone's like, have you seen this show? And I'm like, yeah, wasn't it good? Even though I probably only remember an episode or two of it because I don't form memories with TV shows, uh-huh. which kind of makes it fun to like go back every couple of years and rewatch yes. the Gilmore Girls it's or something. Brand new, totally. Because why not? I don't remember any of it. <laughs> um, and it sounds like you're working on journaling as well. Yeah, that's something that you're doing. I don't know if that's as much coping as it is like practical. I should probably remember what happens to me on a day to day basis. Practical stuff is allowed to be coping. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Any, that's all of my specific questions for today. After all of that, is there anything else that comes to mind that you're like, oh, this is an important piece of the picture? Anything else from me? I feel like I'm going to remember everything that is an important piece of the picture as soon as as we're done as soon as we yeah Yeah. as soon as we wrap up that's allowed you know generally what the next session is for (laughs) (laughs) oh that's how this works yeah so it it, like it does itself you know you don't have to you don't have to push to find the thing today (laughs) okay that's cool okay cool nothing else immediately comes to mind that sounds good that's fair um all right well that is everything for today now, as my friend, how are you feeling after having done all of that? <laughs> I feel like at some point over the last few years, you've probably already heard a lot of this. I have gotten to hear a lot of it. I think that this is a really interesting like, structure to go through because certain parts of it bring up other parts of it as well. And that's yeah. what I've definitely heard bits and pieces and to kind of like string it all together in a format. I'm very familiar with it at this point. <laughs> I feel like we need to do a reverse one of these at some point, even though I have no licensure in therapy. So I'm, maybe I can I'll, form memories I'll about hand you. I can do the questions. We'll this do feels uneven now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. And. Yeah, I think I think that exactly the way that you approach this, obviously you're doing this in a way where you're like very aware of being witnessed while you're doing it. You're sitting in front of a microphone and there's a camera and prices in the room and this is a little bit of a weird place to be. Um, but in general, I just, I think it's really important that everybody knows that like you're allowed to approach this the same way. We're all a little bit aware of being like viewed and observed when we're in therapy and I... Um, I like that you got to really expound on certain things and other things were like, not, not today. And that's, I'm glad that you modeled that for everybody. Cause that was lovely. You did such a great job. Well done. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. We'll wrap up. Many thanks once again to Emily Scott Cruz for coming over and thank you, Emily. We love you so much. <laughs> yeah, that was cool.
I hope that if you were able to listen to that, it gives you an idea of what your first therapy session might be like. Yeah. And I'll say that if your first therapy session isn't quite like that, Mm -hmm. then perhaps maybe it wasn't a good first therapy session because that's kind of what it should be. They can look all sorts of different ways. And I feel like I was struck while recording this episode and then just afterwards about how different each intake session is. But this is a really solid example of what it can be like. And I hope that you get to have an intake session listener that is just as affirming and open and non-judgmental. Do you have any other thoughts to share with us? Um... I don't think I do. Once again, there are a few other technical things I usually go through in a session. I let people know, um, you know, about confidentiality. I let them know about um, if they see me out in public, how we'll deal with that. <laughs> yeah, sort we of won't be broadcasting your no right. actual <laughs> sessions, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Emily Scott Cruz is not actually a client of yours. Yes, yeah. This is it's real therapy, but it's not real therapy. Um, but yeah, I guess my encouragement is just that it doesn't have to be scary. And there are a couple of times I think you'll notice in this episode where we get onto something that to me I'm sensing is a little bit touchy. And for the sake of it being a podcast that's being reported recorded and shared, I make sure to back off as a therapist, but I do the same thing in therapy with my clients all the time. We're doing an intake session. We get into something that somebody's just not quite ready to talk about yet. And that's okay. Nothing about, even though therapy is a safe space where yes, you can absolutely share your deepest, darkest, you know, whatever. Um, you're still getting to know somebody. Like there is a, you're still getting to know somebody. And I never expect that my clients come in the first week and just already feel like they're ready to share everything. And I love getting to do that. So that's another thing to look out for as you're starting sessions. If you go for a first session and you just feel pushed into trying to answer questions that you're not ready to talk about, make sure that you're seeing a therapist who's willing to walk that path with you at whatever pace you need. Yeah, it should, it should feel, therapy should feel uncomfortable at times, but certainly not in that first session, right? You should feel comfortable. That first session to me is all about just building a relationship. We can get through, I mean, (laughs) we can get through just a handful of questions if what you really need to do is spend a lot more time talking. And sometimes I've gotten through those questions in the first half hour of a 50 minute session. Men like, would you like your time back? Or would you like to start a session now? Would you like to start talking about our next thing? Um, So I love how it can be just self-paced. That's important. Well, Emily Scott Cruz, we want to thank you for your time. Appreciate you. Ashlyn, as always, (laughs) thank you so much for your time. Price, thank you for your time. And we'll see y'all next time on I Married Your Therapist. Sweet. I'm going to cook dinner. Are you hungry? I'm coming for dinner. It's a little early. It's a little early for dinner. What do you you call it when it's 4 p.m.? I'm hungry, though. Yeah. Don't hobbits have a meal for that? (laughs) I'm pretty sure there's a meal. I like I like you. I, I got li- you. I like you. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll do that. A, a Hobbit meal. Yeah. Hobbit. <laughs> All right. We'll see you on the next one.